Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the absolute love of the Father to this world, for initiating the great plan of salvation. We thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice on the cross and all that you have given to us. And Lord, we are grateful. We are grateful to be able to be here in your presence and to be able to know your great love, your great sacrifice, all that you gave to us, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Zach. Thank you, team. I want to take a few minutes as we gather this Good Friday to to share some thoughts with you and some words and and it is a, always a beautiful time. I have always found it to, to have walked through Holy Week and to be here on Good Friday, to be able to worship and to be able to prepare our hearts, of course, for Easter Sunday when we declare He is risen. I wasn't down to preach this morning. Uh, Pastor Glenn uh, was down to speak this morning and I... Um, I got a text last night, I don't know, about five o'clock to say that sadly he's uh, tested positive. Uh, so um, it was, he was unable to be here. I know he was, having spent 17 days within Africa, I think he started writing this sermon when we arrived. Um, I know how uh, disappointed he was and how he wanted to share with you this morning. So it uh, falls to me to um, share with you some of my thoughts and, and uh, concepts. And what we know about Good Friday, this has been quite a week. It started on Saturday. It started when Jesus arrived in Bethany. Do you remember that moment? He loves Bethany. He loves Bethany because of the relationships he has there with Mary and Martha. He loves Bethany because of Lazarus. Because it was there that he stood and did the most spectacular miracle of his ministry. He called Lazarus out of the grave and Lazarus came forth and God did a great miracle that day. He loves this place, Bethany. It's only two miles outside of Jerusalem. And in fact, if you've ever visited Jerusalem, you can walk the journey from where Bethany would have been down through the Kidron Valley, down through the olive groves, into the city of where Jesus would have come. And on that Saturday evening, he was there with his friends. The perfume was broken open. The time was spent to prepare him, to anoint him. Palm Sunday came and he made his way into the city. They they declared, Hosanna, save us, King of kings. Of course, they were looking for the Messiah. The whole of Israel were obsessed by the idea of the Messiah. Always obsessed. Because the one Messiah means the one who saves us. Hosanna means the one who saves us. Messiah means the one who delivers us or saves our country. 
And he arrived and he looked, of course, on that Sunday in the temple and he saw all that was taking place in the temple. He saw the injustice. He saw the exclusion. He saw the money lending. Back to Bethany, his favorite B, Airbnb. He then travels again on Monday, comes into the city. On the way into the city, he finds the unfortunate fig tree, which I always feel quite sorry for, and curses it. It's got no fruit. It's not even meant to have fruit at that time of year, although there is a kind of fruit that they did harvest from buds at that time of year. But it's speaking of fruitlessness of religion and the fruit that God wants to bring into the world. He enters the temple and he clears it in a spectacular way with his authority. He's fulfilling the role of priest. He's fulfilling the role of the Messiah who was also seen as a priest. The Messiah who is also seen as a king. And the Messiah who is also seen as a prophet in the Old Testament. He comes and he declares and he clears the temple and he goes back to Bethany. Monday's over. Tuesday. It's teaching day. Goes into the temple and has the great discourse with the religious leaders. Not only does he have the great discourse with the religious leaders, but on his way out on the Mount of Olives, he stops and he looks at the temple. He declares that it will be destroyed. He talks about the end days. He talks about the wars and the rumors of wars. He talks about the earthquakes. He teaches about the coming day. He teaches about the time that is coming. He gives us an idea that there is now events and there will be future events, but he is Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. Tuesday's done and he goes back to Bethany. Wednesday is still. He's with his friends in Bethany. He's preparing his heart. If you've ever undertaken a task that takes fortitude and courage and strength, often it's the silent day before it. And on that Wednesday we know Prayerful, family, together. And Thursday arrives and they prepare for the Passover. From the triumph of Sunday, we now begin the terror of Friday. And there he is, sat around the table with his friends, talking about a new family, talking about a new kingdom. Great discourse takes place, but at that table there is betrayal taking place. At that table there is a plan emerging. And as the evening goes through, and as the great discourse in John, as we see it unfold, speaks of, it all comes together until towards 12 o'clock at night he moves in towards the Garden of Gethsemane, and there he agonizes and agonizes and agonizes in prayer. And now we have entered Friday. How many of us have agonized in that way? How many of us have felt those times when we wonder how we're going to get through life, when we wonder about the future, we wonder about the pain that we're facing and going through? How many of us have been through that? And there in the garden, the 
arrival of the temple guards, the betrayal of a kiss by Judas. He is arrested. He is taken. He is tried in front of six small courts. Three in front of the Jewish courts, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, then in front of Pilate, then in front of Herod, then back to Pilate, and then condemned to die. He's crucified. What is the crucifixion all about? Having come through the week, we see the response of the disciples and how some of them said, I will never, never turn my back on you. Others of them were afraid. Others, of course, Judas betrayed. We see their response. We see their response in our response to life. We see how we struggle and we go through different days. And we see our story in Holy Week as much as we see Jesus' story in Holy Week. Because, because he has traveled through the great darkness. Because he has faced Good Friday. Because he has come through death we too have a great high priest who identifies with our pain. But he's crucified. Seven statements. Seven things I want to mention to you that take place on the cross. One, as he's hanging on that cross, with seven-inch railway spikes put through his hands and put through his feet. You know, crucifixion is difficult to really understand what goes on because we don't have much archaeological evidence for crucifixion. We know it happened. It was talked about. Jophias uh, talked about it as a most wretched kind of death. Cicero spoke about it, that crucifixion is literally a swear word and that a Roman citizen should never speak the word crucifixion because it is a cursed, swearing, vile word because it represents the most heinous, most horrific way of death. And you won, as Cicero says, you should never speak the word crucifixion because crucifixion is a curse. But there have been some bodies found that were crucified. One in, recently in Cambridgeshire in England. A stake through a man's foot, they could tell he'd been crucified, some unfortunate Britain by a Roman in Europe. The reason we don't know this is because it's an old piece of wood. It's a hundred pound piece of wood. He's a criminal, crucified and then left to be eaten by the dogs or thrown into the ditch. You don't have, you know, the kind of actual kind of evidence for it. We know it exists, it's well documented, but we don't have a crucified body as such to be able to go and look at. We just have one or two examples of, of crucifixion. And, and Jesus is, is experiencing this crucifixion, and even modern historians today will, will argue that crucifixion, often we think of crucifixion as Jesus uh, you know, 12 foot high and two little crosses either side. But often people were crucified at eye level because they didn't 
lift them always up. It was six foot or eight foot. And I've thought about this and I've imagined it, that if Jesus was crucified at eye level, then those that came and mocked him, those that came and spoke to him, those that said, you, you, you raised others, let's see if you can raise yourself. You helped others, let's see if you can help yourself. King of the Jews, what kind of king are you? Imagine that shame. Imagine that intensity. Imagine that pain. And what did Jesus speak as he was hanging on the cross, whether it was 12 foot high or whether it was 8 foot high or whether it was, you know, however you want to imagine this. But thinking about that captured my imagination that, that the insults, the mockery, the pain was so personal. And what did he say? The first statement was, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. The power of Good Friday is that forgiveness was released to the world. Forgiveness. Forgive the centurions. Forgive the Roman soldiers. Forgive The Jewish religious authorities, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Forgiveness is the very, very foundation, the very life of the Christian life that we are forgiven, that we have been condemned and we are shamed. But Christ came and he came into our brokenness. He came into our pain and he forgave us. The second statement is, this day you will be in paradise. Looking at the thief that acknowledged him and in the dialogue that took place, this day you will be in paradise. What does the word paradise connect us to? Well, it connects us to the word exile. And exile connects us to the idea of the Garden of Eden when as humanity we were excluded from the intimate, beautiful relationship with God because of the fall. And we were cast out of the Garden. But as Jesus hung upon that cross, as he went through the pain and the agony, what he was achieving was being able to bring us back into paradise, into that relationship with God. Interesting, he was crucified outside the city wall, of course. He was put out of the city wall and crucified so that we may now be invited into the new Jerusalem, the city of God for eternity. He said, this day you will be in paradise. And this is the message of Good Friday and the message of Easter, that you needn't be outside the wall. You needn't be outside of the garden, but you can now have a relationship with God. And you can know that one day you can dwell in the eternal Jerusalem. Jerusalem is fascinating, isn't it? It's the only city in the world that has two locations. One on earth and one in heaven. Jerusalem is amazing. 
because it's, a, it's, it's, it's the Mount of God, and yet when you go, there's not a very big mountain. And, but what it talks about is the sense of what will come, what will take place. He was put outside the city of Jerusalem so that you and I can be brought into the new Jerusalem. Then Lux, third statement. Woman, this is your son. Son, this is your mother. Empathy. He looks down from the cross and he sees three women, one of which is his mother, Mary Magdalene. And as, uh, as the three women are there, He looks at John, the beloved, and says, look after my mother. The power of empathy is to know that you are truly heard and understood and somebody gets you. I want to remind you this morning that there's a God in heaven who truly understands you and gets you. He wants to speak forgiveness over our lives. He wants to introduce us to the new paradise and to that garden experience, that new Jerusalem. And he comes to us and says, I understand you. I understand your brokenness. I understand your journey. I understand the complexity of your life. I understand what you've gone through. Woman, this is your son. This is is your mother. Empathy. Then the fourth statement, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's experiencing the forsakenness of the cross at that moment. He's understanding that the separation is taking place. He is our atonement. He is the Lamb of God dying for the world. He is God who has become man in the mystery and beauty of the Trinity. And he cries out, Why have you forsaken me? He's feeling the alienation. He's feeling the distance. He's understanding what is taking place. What he prayed through in Gethsemane is now becoming a reality. And he is forsaken, my dear friends, so you and I may never be forsaken. He is forsaken so that you can be welcomed. He is forsaken so that you can know a relationship with God. The fifth statement, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. Speaks of his humanity. He is completely human and yet divine. He laid down his humanity, and as he laid down his humanity, his divinity, he was able to then identify with our pain, with our problems, and understand what we go through and what we face. I am thirsty.
And then the most powerful of words. It is finished. What was finished? Well, his journey was finished. But what was truly finished was the alienation of humanity and the power of sin and death. It is finished. It is broken. I have gained it. I have done the task. It is finished. I have died for the sins of the world. And today, that is really what we remember. The sixth statement, it is finished. He has achieved the mission of God. He has said to us, you can be forgiven. He has said to us, you are no longer in exile, but you can come And know the garden. You can know the city dwelling of the kingdom of God. He has said to you, I understand you. I empathize with you. I am with you. He says to her, he's been through the forsakenness so that we may never be forsaken. He's been to hell and through hell so we may never face hell. He has come to free us. He has come to redeem us. In his humanity, God himself to deal with the universal issue of sin, only God eternal could come and die to deal with that. And then the final statement, seven. Into your hands I commit my spirit. I do it all for you. And I commit it to you, Lord. And maybe now in your own journey, into your hands I commit my spirit. Maybe on this Good Friday, friends, having walked through Holy Week with you, the events, and I've really tried this week on each day to meditate and to contemplate and to live in each day's activities. And so I get here today. Maybe again it is time for you to commit your life into God's hands. Maybe after two years of COVID, after the fragmentation of the global church, after all the difficulties we faced. Maybe you haven't even been in church. Maybe you haven't engaged. Maybe you've lost your compass of your faith. Maybe you're sat here and you're not even a Christian and today you want to respond to God. Then it starts by saying, into your hands I commit my life. I give my life over to you now. So let's pray. Remember those seven statements. Memorize them if you can. Pray them through and ask the Lord what they mean to you and your journey today. But maybe now you need to commit your life into the hands of the Father. Your journey now afresh. Now into the hands of the Father.
Lord Jesus Christ. We gather here now. And Lord, we commit our lives to you on this Good Friday. Forgive us, Lord, when we have drifted from you. Forgive us, Lord, when we have been distanced from you. Forgive us, Lord, of our sins. And we invite you to come afresh to our lives and to renew our faith and renew our devotion and renew our journey, Lord. We bow at the foot of the cross today and say, yes, you are my Lord. You are my Savior. You are my King. I choose to follow you today. Hallelujah. We're going to move now into communion. And Pastor Jordan's going to come. And if you haven't, prepare your heart and for this moment. But maybe at this moment, you're responding to God for the first time to give your life to Jesus. And offer your life to Christ. At the end, there is a response desk outside and I'll be there and others. And if you're beginning your journey with Jesus this morning, we've got a package and uh, something to read and a gift and some a gospel of John. And you can begin your journey of faith or renewed faith this morning at the end of this service. Good Friday is the epicenter of our faith. It is the moment that everything culminates to today. We don't want to allow this moment to pass us by. We know the benefits of faith. We know the benefits of community. But the cross, the scandal of the cross is why we're here today. Not for techniques in in meditation or or apologetics or trying to understand things, but knowing that the cross is the center of our faith. The cross is the death by which Christ conquers death. The cross is the abolition of war and violence. The cross is the supreme demonstration of the love of God 
The cross is the refounding of the world around the axis of love. The cross is the enduring model of co-suffering love that we are all to follow. The cross is the eternal moment in which the sin of the world is forgiven. The cross is where Jesus reveals God as Savior. The cross is what God in Christ endures as he forgives. The cross is where the sin of the world coalesced into the hideous singularity so that it might be forgiven en masse. The cross is where the world, the world violently sinned its sin in the body of the Son of God and where Jesus absorbs it all, praying, Father, forgive them. The cross is both ugly and beautiful. It's as ugly as human sin and it's as beautiful as divine love. But in the end, today, as we come and we sit at the cross, love and beauty win. As we come today, we place everything else to the side. Perhaps this is your 40th Easter Good Friday service. We always pray for new revelation and new understanding. So as we come to the table, let's take a moment. As Phil revealed those seven sayings of Jesus on the cross, perhaps look into the eyes of Jesus. And be in his presence. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and they, they found a place for them to have their last supper. And when the time came, Jesus sat down at the table and the apostles with him. And he said this, I have been so much looking forward to eating the Passover with you. And he says that to us today. I have so been looking forward to eating this Passover meal with you. As Phil said, he was outside the walls of the temple. The old way of the temple, the old way of the brick, the old way of the, of the built building where the presence of Jesus resided was gone, and now it resides in Jesus and with us, with his spirit. The old covenant of the temple was gone, and the new covenant of the table is with us today. I've been looking forward to this. For let me tell you, I won't eat again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took his bread. Let's all take our bread together. And he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body, 
which is given for you. Do this in memory of me. Let's eat together. This is why we experience communion together. Because he took the cup and he sent it around and he shared, said, share this amongst yourselves. Share this as a community. From now on, I won't drink from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. So he said, take this cup of the new covenant, which is shed for you, and drink in remembrance of me. Let's drink.